Her answer was a girl who, if you asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up, she would have said a scientist and a footballer. And it's not really clear if she understood what it meant to, I guess, do science and do sports, um, or what it meant to be either of those things. Um, she just knew that she enjoyed doing science and enjoyed playing football. Her earliest childhood memories are of her um, playing football around her estate from the early afternoon until the haze of summer nights ends, and even racing out of the door to try on her new football boots on Christmas Day, even in the snow. She also remembers reading encyclopedias and trying to remember all the random science facts that she could find. Like, did you know that everyone's brain is roughly the same size as their fists held together like this? More like that, I should say. <laughs> she also remembers tearing through the horrible science magazine series and collecting the pages of all the suggested science experiments that she would try around her East London flat. And these looked pretty good stacked up against her World Cup sticker books, she thought. So there was no doubt in her mind that these two career pathways could exist in some kind of perfect harmony. And that was, not, that was right up until the dreaded GCSE years, where some decisions had to be made. And it became apparent to everyone around her, especially her teachers and fellow students, who felt that they needed to weigh in with their opinion, as most 16-year-olds tend to, um, that she wasn't going to be able to have these two career pathways continue alongside each other as she thought they would. Um, yeah, so it, she wasn't going to be able to be a footballer and a scientist. She, she had to. She had to choose. Um, but in a world where women's football at the time meant that you basically had to take on double the work, so two jobs and half the job security and opportunities and probably pay. Most most definitely half the pay. Um, yeah, it seemed like playing professional football or playing football in a professional format um, seemed less and less likely. So it was time to put all her eggs in one basket. Um, and her grades at school were pretty good, probably quite good, so too good to sell out, as it were. Um, yeah, so she had to choose and make this decision to follow this one, this one track of, of being a scientist and throwing a curveball, which was the death of her inspiration for sports and making something of herself the death of her beloved father, it seemed like all was on the line. Um, yeah, chuck in a, I guess, a lackluster set of results at A-levels, and I guess, which namely was due to grief, but probably all of the teenage expressions of that you can imagine, some tears, anxiety, shattered self-esteem, loneliness, depression, anger, frustration, all of those things, and. I mentioned, I mentioned tears. Um, yeah, so a struggle for her A-levels and a lackluster set of results. Um, it seemed like now everything was hanging in the balance. Her dream of at least being a scientist were, were hanging by a thread. Um, but there was nothing else for it. She 
she rejigged some of her A-levels and did some resets, and it seemed like all was not lost just yet. Um, yeah, so, but all of that being said, I think she made a decision way back when that her science career was going to manifest itself as a medical career. No one, it seemed like nobody was going to take anybody on a medicine degree that had done three years of A-levels. So if she was going to be a scientist, what type of scientist was she going to be? Um, and she remembers that her A-level biology classes from that point for the last couple of, for the next couple of weeks were filled with sort of glazed over stairs and some cloudy daydreams about what she was going to do in the back of Miss Osse's classes. And that's not uh, common on Miss Osse's teaching, at least as far as she can remember. Um, until one day, we, um, she opened the, the next page of her workbook and there was an image that she doesn't think she'd seen before. It was a double page spread of the brain and a brain cell, a neuron, and myelin and Schwann cells and nodes of Ranvier and dendrites and axons and wow is this what the brain is made up of she thought and these cells make up the cortex the cerebellum the hippocampus the amygdala the hypothalamus and wait so biologists study this stuff like scientists study the brain she thought maybe she should study the brain and she left that lesson and went into a race down the stairs um, to a free period and, and made it to the library and sat down at the library computer and typed straight into Google neuroscience degree. And there, to her wonder, there was Bristol and Glasgow, Exeter, King's College and Nottingham, and they all offered neuroscience as an undergraduate degree. I'm going to be a neuroscientist, she thought. Um, with her medical degree head on, she had then thought, I need, some, I need some neuroscience work experience. So trawled the internet for some work experience in some neuroscience labs. And then again, she found two competitive programs that were offering internships in, in some labs. And so she applied, and so she won both. And she did some internships in, uh, it was in King's College and, and Imperial College in London. So with a summer of neuroscience under a belt and uh, an intense UCAS application period and a trail of exams that came and went and A-level results, they soon rolled around and, and Nottingham it was and to Nottingham she went. And whilst that degree was a bit too much on the cell stuff and maybe not a lot on the people and brain stuff, um, she enjoyed it and it wasn't until she found her saving grace in third year in uh, neuroimaging and cognition modules where she managed to delve into more images of the brain and discover the wonder that she'd found the first time that she'd looked at them. Flash forward through that and through a sports science master's degree where she was really galvanized by finding out more about movement neuroscience and all the thoughts and cognition that followed movement and what that could mean for the brain and what that involves. Um, and just finding out more about how people learn new movements and skills and things like that, to this point that she finds herself at now. And she is me. And I'm here at Oxford, I'm at the opposite end of 
the scale from Marianne, who's just finished, and I'm at the first two weeks of my PhD. Um, and my research currently is looking at um, basically how we can harness the power of sleep to boost the memory formation processes that are involved with learning new movements and hoping that that will feed into um, stroke patients rehabilitation. I'm currently really excited to be looking at something called targeted memory reactivation, um, which is something quite gnarly and quite cool, I think. We basically will tag different movements, so we'll get stroke patients to learn a sequence of movements during wake, and we'll tag each of those movements with a different sound, and then we'll play that sequence back to them while they sleep, in the hope that it will feed into the processes um, for trying to remember that sequence. So we hope that it will bias the natural processes that happen during sleep, there's already a replay process that happens, will bias this replay towards this specific memory that we've tagged so that it will accelerate their learning of this movement sequence. So hopefully it will make stroke patients' rehabilitation much more efficient and less intensive, which sounds really cool and pretty sci-fi, if you ask me. Um, and it's definitely not something I ever thought I'd have the pleasure of working on way back when, when I was first studying neuroscience or looked at that image of the brain during my A-levels. Um, nor is a big public engagement project that my department are working on at the moment. It's called Football in the Brain. Um, and we're basically going to be creating some neuroscience content for football players, football coaches, and football fans, um, looking right from, I guess, the neuroscience that goes into learning new football skills, and also things like managing emotions in high-pressure situations. Um, again, it sounds super cool. And I had a thought, and it crossed my mind, that I might not be a professional footballer, but I'm still a footballer and a neuroscientist at heart. mechanism so we're still perceiving the outside world which is why I guess now we're all great trained sleepers we don't necessarily wake up when we hear police alarms or things like that like there's a suppression mechanism so that we don't necessarily react to them but we know that the brain still perceives so the brain's still perceiving this sound for example and, um, that kind of I guess runs alongside this sort of memory retrieval process that's happening and it's called replay or reactivation where we know that the same pattern of activity that we would see during this task, during wake, would, uh, would otherwise, without us adding some external stimuli, would still happen. 
it, we would still see similar activity that was present during the task whilst that person is also asleep. So they kind of run alongside each other and how those two interact with each other, I don't know the full mechanism, but we're assuming that we're just gonna basically, whilst there's lots of replay happening, so things it's that you've learned. Is it replaying the kind of actions that exactly, it did yeah. while conscious, it's just doing that? Yeah, that happens naturally anyway, so we're just trying to make use of that yeah. and bias it towards what we want them to learn. So you have to imagine that you know you learn loads of things during the day. So all of these things compete with each other and you learn things at different rates. So we're just trying to almost hijack that process to basically boost the memory formation processes for our specific skill, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Thank you for your question, by the way. Will you compare it with people playing the same music again but not asleep? Because it's already, we already know that if you learn something and then sleep on it, mm. you learn it better for the next day. So you'd have to compare it with learning it and... Uh, not sleeping. Yeah, but what about also not sleeping but still hearing the same sounds again? Because yeah, that so might also induce the brain to think it through, as it were, yeah. to consolidate the, the learning. Yeah, so there'll be a control group of people who won't sleep. Um, but I think it's also taps into what this young man asked already in the sense of that replay will, will obviously happen. It's just about all of these different interfering things that could obviously offset that learning. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting to, to see as well. I mean, we're also gonna add a group where if we play the sequence, like, or just out of sequence, play these sounds and see what happens then. Do they still learn? Do they still learn the task? So all to be confirmed. <laughs> you know that every GCSE student wants to have a record to play under their yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it can be done. <laughs> uh, should we take this man and that one? Yeah. Not a question, but I do think I remember reading once children with eidetic memory would report um, if they were playing music while they were studying. Oh, I remember hearing this. Yeah. Notes. Yeah, so it's kind of a bit like classical conditioning, like way back when you tag, I guess, a, an expected outcome with some kind of stimulus that you would then, I guess, get the required response without the stimulus, etc. And again, if I may, so you're saying the, the mechanism is not known, but you're, hi you're, hi you're trying to just hi hijack or use what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah, exactly, that's our hypothesis. There's been some study of this done in the lab before where they um, look at specific sleep signatures and whether that they can boost using something called pink noise whether you can boost slow wave oscillations in sleep which are the basis of remembering things like memory consolidation processes are apparently linked to slow waves so if you boost the amount of slow waves that you get during sleep you can I guess make people remember more or something specific so that side of things has been done before, but we're kind of trying to do it in a bit more of a like low density way, in the sense of so that we can low density, but also specific movement-wise, so that we can yeah improve stroke patients' rehab. Yeah. Yes, I'm interested um, in when you're asleep and your body is sort of turned off, so you don't react to stimuli. So what you're dreaming, you don't move or whatever. 
Is that due to something turning off in the brain or something turning on in the brain? I mean, is there a, a program that turns on that tells you not to move, or is it just cutting off the signal to your cerebellum, for instance? Yeah, I think it's, it's the latter. I think it's actually inhibition. So rather than there being activation in those normal circuits that would induce movement or whatever it is, we actually have an innovation process that stops you from doing those things. But that's probably the extent of what I know about. But they don't know where that comes from in the brain, or like how that happens in the brain? They probably do. <laughs> it's the basis of my research, I'm not 100%. I wouldn't want to basically give you a, a cop out of an answer, but there is research into, I guess, because the same things happen when you like just imagine a movement that you know, you don't do it, right? There's, there's some covert um, processes that happen, and basically there's some inhibition to stop you from actually doing them. Um, I'm trying to remember, but I'll try and remember and catch you if I do.